listening to a Clovis Hills podcast. You're about to hear from one of our teaching pastors. I want to encourage you, go download the Clovis Hills app where you can listen to sermons, you can give, you can do the growth group questions. They're on there too. And you can study God's word together. God bless you guys and go be the church. It is a good time in the church, the life of the church. God is doing an amazing thing. You remember a few weeks ago on, uh, on Halloween, we had a thing called Dunker Treat. We baptized 23 individuals that day. Yeah. Uh, this weekend, we were baptizing more. Last service, we baptized five. We're going to baptize two this service. Make a total of 30 people that we baptized over the last couple weeks. Excited. Uh, I want to share with you, I know you guys are probably getting clapper fatigue. It's like, okay, not a, no more good news. Uh, I want to uh, share with you, uh, Pastor Sean, obviously he's not with us this morning. Tuesday he came up to me and he said, hey, uh, you're up. I, I, I gotta, I'm going to be somewhere else. And so you got to preach? And I was like, no worries. But he is up in Campbell, California, the Bay Area. I don't know if you guys remember, but about five years ago, Clovis Hills helped plant a church up in Campbell called Eden Church. Well, glad to report that uh, this morning, Eden Church is moving into their own building, their own facilities. Yeah, it's awesome. They've just seen growth up there, people coming to Christ. I think some people are getting baptized today. Pastor Sean is there being part of those festivities and he's preaching a message uh, up there. On top of that, uh, we have a church that meets here at Clovis Hills on Saturdays at noon. It's called Rise Church. And uh, a few years ago, it was a church plant. They were meeting at a school in Sanger. Well, once COVID hit, they couldn't meet anymore. And so they started using our facility. We just kind of opened up the door. Actually, there were several churches using our facility during COVID. And they stuck, you know, and they're, they're having their services because they're not able to get back into the school in Sanger. And uh, yesterday, I am just so pleased to report God is so good that in their service at noon in our venue, they saw nine individuals come to Christ. They baptized three. I just, guys, God is on the move. God is still moving. You might hear otherwise. You might believe, and social media will tell you otherwise, but God is on the move. He's still in the business of salvation. He's still in the business of calling people to him, and we are seeing it over and over again, and I'm so blessed to be part of this church right here, this place, and this time on this corner, that we are just seeing God's movement across this city, and it's exciting time to be here. God is doing something special. Pastor Sean, last week after our 30th celebration, wasn't that a great celebration, by the way, just to see where God ha has taken Clovis Hills the last 30 years to see all the familiar faces to where Pastor Sean was going to start a sermon series today on where we're going. And, and he's not here, so he'll take that up next week. And when he asked me, he actually asked me this last week, and he said, don't, don't, you know, don't go, you don't have to do that, man. Like, you're good. Just preach a message and I'll pick it up next week. And I was like, okay, I think I got one in the hopper where we got, well, I got something to do. Uh, but the more I began to go over it, and even this morning, really early this morning, about 4 a.m. this morning, I woke up uh, and uh, God was like, no, no, 
I believe that this is where the church needs to go. And Pastor Sean will give you a lot more details, but I'm going to tell you a lot this morning about things that we should be avoiding in our future. Things that we need to make sure are still happening and things, places that we should avoid and things to avoid. And so I want to pick that up this morning, where the church is going. And if you have your Bible, your iPad, your iPhone, however you access the Word of God, I want you to meet me in John, uh, Mark chapter 9, and we're going to start at verse 2. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 2. And how, when, while you are turning there, I want to give you a little backdrop on what's happening, because that's going to help us understand what's happening right here in Mark chapter 9. In the previous chapter, Jesus had a meeting with his disciples. It was a famous meeting. A lot of us know what that meeting was about. You see, Jesus was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? And Peter declared that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And it was at that moment, the first time Jesus spoke about the church, he declared that not even the gates of hell will be able to come against the church. The church is going to be the vehicle in which I get the message of the good news of the gospel out to the world. That was in the previous chapter. And then Jesus began to talk to the disciples and the crowds how he was going to die, that he needed to leave, to leave them. And nobody understood that. Everybody's like, why are you leaving us? Wait a minute, we want you around. You don't need to leave us. And they didn't understand that Jesus, part of the good news, part of what God was doing to redeem man to himself was to send his son so that he could die on a cross for our sin. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the message of the gospel. And they didn't understand it at the time, but we look back at it now and he had to leave. He had to go. He had to die and he had to uh, rise from the dead so that he could ascend into heaven and the Holy Spirit would come and live within all his believers. This is what Jesus was talking about. And so as soon as he began to teach those things, the crowds began to disperse because they didn't like his teachings. And then we come up to John chapter nine, and this is where we are at. And so if you are able to, in honor of God's word, will you please stand and join me? John chapter nine, starting in verse two. It says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Then a cloud appeared and covered them and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. This is God's word, you may be seated. I wanna take you through this story that we just read. It's a fascinating story, the transfiguration of Jesus. And so on the backdrop I just gave you, you can imagine that Jesus must have been tired. He's with groups of people, and the groups of people begin to doubt him because of the things that he began to teach. And you can imagine he needed some time alone. And so what does he do? He gathers his disciples and he tells his disciples, I'm gonna go up to this mountain and I'm gonna spend some time with God. 
And he begins to go up this mountain, but he takes three disciples with him. He takes James, John, and Andrew. I don't know why he takes James, John, and Andrew, but it seems like a pattern. This is not the first time he spent alone time with James, John, and Peter, but in the future, he will take James, John, and Peter again. And he seems to take these three men in special moments. Now again, I don't know why he chose those three. I don't know why he continued to choose those three. If it was me, 12 disciples, equally divided by three, make four shifts of four, hey, let's just rotate this thing through so everybody has a chance. But that wasn't Jesus. Jesus spent time with uh, Peter, Andrew, and John. Now, I didn't say this last service, and that was a miss on my part. But I think someone needs to hear this this morning. I think there, it might not, it's probably not even most of you, but I think someone needs to hear this this morning. And that is this. I don't know why Jesus chooses people the way he does. I don't know why he always chose John, Andrew, and Peter. And I don't know why he chooses us and does things with us. I don't know why he gifted us a certain way. I don't know why he chooses other people over uh, uh, some others to do certain things. But if we want as a church to move forward, this is an important concept to get across. Again, I don't know why he chooses some people to be on stage. I don't know why he chooses some people to be in the band. I know he doesn't choose me to be in the band. You don't want me to be in the band. I don't know why he chooses some of you to be small group leaders and to be influential in your workplaces or in your homes. I don't know why he chooses the way that he chooses, but listen, that is God. And he will choose who he wants to choose to accomplish that what he wants to accomplish. And if we want to move forward as a church and not get sidetracked and accomplish that what God wants us to accomplish as a church, we better settle into our own skin and understand how God has, how God has equipped us and where we are to serve in his kingdom and not worry about who's doing what. Stop it. I wish I would have said that at the nine o'clock service. Tell everybody in your small groups if they went to the nine o'clock service, to the 10.30 service. There's something in there, somebody needed to hear that this morning. Because there's some of you who go to small groups, some of you who do ministry around here, and you're so worried about what you're not doing and what the church hasn't asked you to do that you haven't prayed and asked God, what is it that I should be doing? We are to advance the kingdom of God in this place and time. And if we get so worried about and arguing with each other about she said this or he said this or he didn't pray right or she asked dumb questions during group, then we're just distracted about what God wants to accomplish through his church. That's it, I'm done with that. I'm putting it aside. We're moving on. He took, is that okay, church? <laughs> I just felt like someone needed to hear it. He takes James, John, and Peter up the mountain. Now I want you to envision what is happening. This is how I read scripture. I'll get caught on a scripture and I'll be just like, okay, what's really happening in this passage? So I want you to go on a journey with me this morning. I want you to envision what's happening. He takes the three disciples up on a mountain and there on the mountain he has this incredible experience. It's called, the Bible theologians will call it the transfiguration. 
Now, the Greek word that they use for transfiguration is the same word that we get our word metamorphosis from. That means our transformation is happening in Jesus' life. He's literally on the mountain and something begins to ha happen to him. Mark describes it as his clothes became whiter than any bleach could ever bleach them. Now listen, I know where I'm at. I know who I'm speaking to. And I know some of you are gonna have some complaint cards for me. But that is the worst description I've ever heard before in my life. I know it's the Bible, but really, that's all you come up with? Mark, Jesus is being transformed and you say, oh, he looks like Clorox, come on. You gotta understand that Luke, Luke tells the same story. And when Luke writes it, Luke's like, man, when Jesus got to the mountaintop, it was like light beams were coming out of him. Now that's how you describe it. You get, to, you get to Luke and he describes this as well. And Luke's like, oh, I, I got this, man. When he gets up to the mountaintop, it was like lightning bolts coming out of him. Mark, the best you could do is Clorox? Come on, man, I know it's the word of God, but Mark, you, you gotta get a little more creative. So what we have is I want you to picture with me, ignore Mark for just a second, ignore, but, but what we have is Jesus having this intimate moment with his father and he's beginning, beginning to be transformed before their very eyes. Light is coming out of him. Lightning bolts. And then who appears but Moses and Eli? Big Mo and Eli. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the greatest of the prophets and they're on the mountain with them. Lightning bolts. Moses and Eli. Moses' big beard and cane and Elijah's. I didn't know what Elijah looked like, but he was there. And it was special. And something was happening. Something incredible was happening. He was being transformed. And what that meant was that Moses and Eli were there to attest to who Jesus was. You see, he wasn't like Moses. He wasn't like Elijah. As great as those two men were, he was something special. It was what Moses wrote the law about. It was what the prophets prophesied about. It was the one who was gonna come and save the world from their sin. It was Jesus. And in that moment, he wasn't just declaring that I am just like Moses and Eli. But I am God. You see, the light came from within his transformation. You know, Moses could identify with this. If you remember, Moses was on top of a mountain. And he had an experience with God. And the Bible says the Shekinah glory shone in his face. You see, the glory, the, the, the light reflected Moses. Elijah had a mountaintop experience too. And in those dark caves as he was running, the presence of God came to him and spoke to him in a gentle whisper. They all know too well what a mountaintop experience is like. And yet we have the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God himself declaring that I'm not just a prophet, I'm not just a teacher, but I am God. And the light doesn't shine on me, but it comes through me and out of me.
That's the transfiguration. And in this moment, this special moment that the law and the prophets, uh, two representatives from the Old Testament, are talking with Jesus, and Jesus is like, but shh. <laughs> One of the dumbest things that ever came out of the mouth of Peter was spoken in the middle of this incredible special event with the Shekinah glory coming all over. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that Peter steps into this conversation and says, hey guys, really good to be here. <laughs> Have you ever said something so stupid that as soon as you say it, you wish you could just put it right back in? This is what's happening right here. Like they're having their moment. Shekinah glory, bah, 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 bah. And Peter thinks that's the time to step in and say, hey guys, really good to be here. And then have you ever said something so stupid, you just like, you want to put it back, but you figure it's out of the bag, and so you're just going to double down on stupidity right now? It's here, right in scripture. He says, it's really good to be here. And then he says something equally stupid. And I'm going to tell you why it's equally stupid. He says this, he says, so I think it would be good for me to go get a tent for both you, Jesus, and you, Moses, and you, Elijah. Now, why is that so stupid? Obviously, they were on a mountain and they needed shelter. But this is why it's so stupid. See, you and I don't grasp the gravity of the situation. But a good Jewish boy like Peter would certainly understand what's at stake. He would certainly understand what is exactly going on because he's a good Jewish boy and he went through rabbinical school. And if you were a good young Jewish boy at that time, Moses and Elijah were like rock stars. They were the men. You can imagine Peter spending all this time with Jesus the Messiah, the chosen one. But he spent three years with them already. This is towards the end of Jesus' ministry. He saw Jesus do miracles. He saw Jesus heal people. He saw Jesus love and feed people. And yet, on this mountain, his jaw is dropping, not because Jesus is like, psh, 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 but because Moses and Elijah are there. Now you're grasping what's happening, right? That Pierce Peter who's walking with the Messiah, the chosen one, God himself, and he says this. He says, hey, Jesus, why, why don't I get all three of you tents? You all three need shelter. What Peter was saying and suggesting is this, that all three of you are equal. All three of you are incredibly important people. All three of you deserve shelter. You notice he didn't turn to John or Andrew Say, hey guys, you need a tent too? He didn't care about those two fools. But what he did was, in this moment, was put Jesus at the same level, or he put Moses and Eli at the same level as Jesus. And the moment Peter spoke this, what happened, the scripture says, that a cloud enveloped them, and the father spoke. And what did the father say? This is my son. I am pleased with him. Listen to him. Listen to him. As if the father is to say, Peter, listen. Those guys, Mo and Eli, they're incredibly important people. They played a part in the story, but they are not the story. 
the one who stands in front of you, the one whose light is emanating out of his own body, the one who I am showing you is not only human, but is God. He is the one from the beginning of creation that I have chose to sit and be a ransom for your sin. He is the one they prophesied about. He is the one they look forward to. He is the one that's gonna reconcile men to the Father. So listen, listen, Peter. Don't dare put those two guys on the same level as my son. And so, for all of you who are taking notes, I'm sorry I don't have any fill-ins. I apologize that for advance. Everybody's like, wait a minute, how do I fill that in? There's no fill-ins, but I have a big idea. And this is my big idea right here. This is all I got for you this morning. I'll let Pastor Dr. Beattie fill in the rest next week. But this is my big idea. Just like Peter put on the same, put the same level that he did to Jesus with Mo and Eli. Here's my big idea, that we can't invite Jesus into what we are doing. It's all about Jesus and our surrender to him. We can't invite him into our ministry. We can't invite him into our church. The, next, the last 30 years were incredible. We saw so much transformation. We saw people's lives changed. We saw families healed and marriages healed. And if we are gonna continue as a church for the next 30 years, then we better get this idea into our mind that we do not do ministry and invite Jesus into it. The ministry of Clovis Hills is all about Jesus. That's what it is. I do not want to tell you about everything that is happening about Clovis Hills without giving glory to Jesus. The moment we begin to think that we can do it on our own is the moment as a church and as a family and as individuals, we will stray off the path and we will, we will lose the effectiveness of what God wants this church to do. It's not inviting Jesus. Jesus did not die on the cross to be our co-pilot. He died on the cross to be our Lord. Listen, we are doing amazing, listen, Clovis Hills, I am so proud to be part of this church. I'm so blessed to be a pastor on staff at this church. You know why? Not because I could get up here, oh, that's really cool. Can you imagine seeing that? That'd be awesome. But I'm blessed to be here because of what God is doing through this little corner in Clovis. He's affecting the entire world. Pastor Sean's up at Campbell right now preaching the gospel. We have other churches using our campus and preaching the gospel and seeing people come to Christ. We have campuses. We have venues. Guys, we have missionaries all over the world. We have churches and prisons in Malawi that Clovis Hills founded and supports. We have churches in Rosarito, Mexico that missionaries from our church are supporting over there. We're working on a church right now in Bogota, Colombia. We have churches in the Philippines. We have churches in Japan. 
We have churches in Africa. We have churches in India. God is using this 40 acres right here to do something special in his kingdom, but we could screw it up real fast, very fast. If we say stupid things like Peter did. And by the way, I don't want to bang on Peter. Like he's like one of my biblical heroes. I love that he says stupid stuff and God still says, oh dear, good boy, have a seat. You'll learn eventually. Because that's what he does with me. Aren't you glad there's screw ups in the Bible? Because I'm a screw up. And I can relate to Peter. Listen, here's just like a little tip. I'm gonna throw this one in for free. This is cool right here. If you're ever in the presence of God and the Shekinah glory is just there and you could feel it. And Jesus is like all over. Can I just tell you, shut up. Don't say a word. Just enjoy his presence. But yet, how many times have I, in my own right mind, have tried to steal the glory from God when things are happening? How many times have I looked around and said, oh, we're doing some great things here. Oh, we're doing, man, you should see Thousands of people are going to come to Christmas in the courtyard. Hey, Jesus, why don't you come? I've been there. Hey, Jesus, check it out. We have this worship team that is off the hook. We got this girl, Marlena, who like dances all over. And she's like, man, she gets you going. And they're up there worshiping. Hey, Jesus, come check it out. Oh, I've been there. Oh, Jesus, you should see how many people we're feeding in Mexico. Oh, Jesus, the children that we're reaching out to in Colombia is amazing. Oh, Jesus, you should check it out. Oh, I've been there. But I needed a reminder this morning. I needed a reminder. I needed the reminder, and I don't know about you. Hopefully this message is getting out to some, because sometimes we just need a gentle nudge. It says it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And when we put him front and center and we recognize him as the glorified, Shekinah glory, risen Savior, then the Bible says when we lift him up, men and women will be drawn to him. Ain't nobody drawn to me. I barely get my wife to be drawn to me, let alone anybody else. Just being real, man. I was 25 years old. No, I'm sorry. I don't want to lie. I'm in the pulpit. I was 26 years old. And God called me to start a church in, in L.A., a town called Downey, California. I was excited. I was a youth pastor. The youth ministry was blowing and going. It was awesome. I was excited to start this new adventure. We were going to reach the city. Man, we were going to reach California. It was, man, we got my team together. And I started this church and it was incredible. God was doing an amazing work there. Seeing people come to Christ, people being baptized. We were on seven different college campuses having small groups, a few different homes. It was a bunch of 20-year-olds just trying to take the world, you know? And I was excited what was happening there. 
And then I went to go meet with my mentor. He's been a mentor, he's still my mentor. He's been a mentor, he's one of them. Been a mentor for 30 years, his name's Russ. If you're in our school of ministry, you've met Russ before. Incredibly wise man. So I go to have lunch with him and he's asking me about the church, that, how the church was going. I'm like, Russ, man, we're in campuses. We're seeing people come to Christ. And da, 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 this is awesome. He's like, man, that's fantastic. He goes, I have a question for you. And I said, Russ, ask away. Look who you're talking to. And Russ says, Scott, my question is this. I'm glad everything's going well, but here's the question. Question is, if the Holy Spirit was to leave your ministry, how long would you, how long would it take you to notice that he was gone? Yeah, wow. <laughs> I'm with you. And, and I, I got defensive at first. And I'm like, come on, Russ. But you know, the problem was I knew he was right. And I could only answer that question truthfully. And the way I could only answer that question is, Russ, I don't know. It might take me a while. Because I was so involved. You see, we can get so involved doing the things of God that we forget about God. We can be so involved doing work for Him that we forget about Him. We can get so wrapped up in doing these things that we forget who we do them for. You see, it's all about Jesus. In church, Sean's gonna fill you in on the details in the next few weeks, but I'm telling you right now that we will get shipwrecked as a church if we go off the path and start doing things and forget who and why we are doing them. It's interesting. They come off of the mountain and there's a, a group waiting there. And they're arguing. The Bible says in Mark chapter 9, they're actually arguing. There's a man with his, with his son who's demon-possessed, and they're arguing. And Jesus comes off the mountain, and he noticed that the disciples are arguing with this man. And so Jesus walks up and says, you know, why are you guys arguing? And the man says, I, I've come to see you, Jesus, because my, my son's possessed, and I know you could heal him. And so Jesus heals him. And he makes an interesting observation. He says this in Mark chapter 9, 14 through 18. I'm going to read it real fast. When they came, down to, uh, came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? He asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that have robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him and throws him to the ground, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Why couldn't they? Because Jesus was on the mountain. And they forgot who it was all about. And then he says this, Mark chapter 9, 28 and 29 says, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Meaning, guys, that if we lose focus of what it's all about and the spirit of the God living in us, the light of the world, the actual light of the world in us, 
asking us now to be the light of the world for the nations who don't know so that we can lift the Son of Man up and people can be drawn to him. That's the Holy Spirit in us. The disciples couldn't do anything because they didn't have the Spirit of the living God in them. Jesus was on the mountaintop and they were trying to do it on their own. This is the message this morning. The message is that it's not by might, as the prophet Zechariah said, it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. And the next 30 years as a church, we need to continue to walk in that Spirit. And we will see amazing things happen. So you are the light of the world. The Holy Spirit in you. If you have a relationship with God, then you are the light of the world. Now here's the thing. This morning, there may be some in this auditorium who've never entered into a relationship with Jesus. That is to say, they are walking in darkness. You are tired, you, you are in darkness, and you're overwhelmed, and you don't know about this Jesus thing, but I'm gonna tell you about him. You see, the same Jesus that was up on the mountain is the same Jesus who says, I want a relationship with you. Paul describes it as literally you were, before you come to Christ, you were dead. And now that you come to Christ, you are alive. That same light that was permeating Jesus is the same light that could enter in you and you become the light of the world. That's why here at Clovis Hills, when you come to know Jesus, we give you a bulb and a Bible. And you can take the bulb and you can screw it into the welcome home light signs and they're all over our campuses, wherever you're at. And it's a, to mark the day that you became the light of the world, that Jesus entered into your life and you have a relationship with him. And today could be your day. In fact, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. The good news is this, that John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible says in Romans that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And it's a matter of faith. And today I'm going to give you that opportunity to do that. But let's spend some time praying. Lord, you are good.